0: This morning, we were discussing the idea that fathers have a lot of lessons they're supposed to teach. And some of those lessons we discussed this morning were about holding to the faith, keeping the course, committing to faithful men the things that need to be taught, enduring hardness as a good soldier. But another true tenet of Christianity is how to live a happy, joyful life. Now, that's something that oftentimes people think about and That's the, for lack of a better term, the weakest part of Christianity. That's not the thing. That's more motivational. But the reality is it's an important part of Christianity. It's an important part of who we are and what we do, is being that joyful person, living a life that is following after Christ. If we were to go window shopping for an idea of joy, as if it were, you're walking down the street and you see every single store is trying to sell some form of happiness some idea of it and everyone claims that they have it figured out they have the best of this product and as you go window to window you keep looking at the different ideas and you keep seeing bad reviews you keep hearing people on the street saying yeah that place don't have it that place doesn't understand what it means we know in our world today that people haven't quite figured it out yet how do I know this? How can I say that the world doesn't truly know how to be joyful people? Well, according to the CDC, they have an answer on this idea. In our country right now, suicide is the second leading cause of death from the ages of 10 to 34. Second. It is the fourth leading cause among 34 to 54, and the fifth leading cause among people ages 45 to 54.3. If that's not a scathing critique on the world's definition of joy, I don't know what is. People claim that they have it figured out. They know the way to joy. They know the way to happiness. But the facts don't back it up. The results don't back it up. So then where do we get our answer? Everyone wants to know, what can I do to make myself happy? How do I be a happy person? But they keep looking in the wrong sources. So this evening, how are we going to answer this question? How are we going to answer how to be a joyful person? If you would please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. That's Philippians chapter 4. This passage is one that is one of my favorites, which that might change depending on the day, but it's one of my favorite passages. Because literally this is Paul describing what true Christian joy means. What it actually means and what it actually entails. So let's start reading in verse six. He says, "Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, while will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus." What was the context of this passage? What was the idea that Paul was trying to show? Verse five or verse four? rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Literally, the idea is rejoice and then rejoice again. The utmost form of it. And his first step, the very first step that Paul talks about in achieving this idea of joy is to not give place to worry. Do not give place to worry. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Now, does that mean we won't have moments of anxiousness? Does that mean we won't have moments where we're stressed? Where we have things that worry us? Well, that's not what we're talking about here. What the idea we're talking about here is to not give a home to anxiousness. To not give a home for worry. I heard a comedian on one occasion who said, Back in the day, people used to brag about their rental properties or the amount of cars that they had or things of that nature. He said, It seems like this present generation likes to brag about what mental disease they have or what anxiety they have or what medication they're on. Do we see a difference in attitude? Friends, we are not to be people who thrive in anxiety who thrive in worry. See, there's a difference between dealing with a problem of anxiety, dealing with a problem of stress, and thriving in it. There's a difference in those two things. One says, I know I have a problem. I want to work through it. I want to fix it. The other says, I am going to make this my identity. This is who I want to be. Some people enjoy the pity that they receive. Some people enjoy the attention they receive. Others actually deal with the problem and actually suffer from its effects. And we need to understand that difference. But we're not to be people who allow that to have a permanent home. We're not talking about the mental disease here. We're talking about the the daily effects that we have, the worries that we have of people in the world, the worries that we have about what's happening next. We're talking about worrying about things we can not control. If I'm worrying about something I have complete control over, how dumb is that? (laughs) How ridiculous is it for me to be allowing that to bother me so much when I have the power to fix it? I have the power to take care of it. In fact, one of my close friends, I worked with him for several years, he is a clinical or a licensed counselor. And he sat down with me one day and was talking about one of the things that he does when he's talking to patients. And he says, what I ask them to do is I ask them to write out two pieces or one piece of paper and I ask them to fold it in half. And on one side of that piece of paper, I ask them to write the things they have complete control over. And on the other side, I ask them to write the things they have absolutely no control over. And he says, you know what I tell them to do? Tear it in half, crumble up the side you can't control, throw it away. This is your list of what you have to deal with. These are the things you need to deal with. As Christians, we, are, we talked about this morning, we are active people. We're not passive. We're not passive. We don't worry about what's being done to us. We worry about what I can do next. Our focus is on that. What I can do. And the things that we have no control over, what does Paul say to do with those things? Turn them over to God. Turn them over to God. Friends, if we're holding on to those anxious, those anxious moments, if we're holding on to those worries that we have no control over whatsoever, we don't have faith in the Lord who created this very earth. Again, we're not talking about those who actually suffer with the problem, those who suffer with the disease that is severe anxiety. We're simply talking about those who allow it to sit and fester in their lives, who allow that to be part of themselves and part of their identity instead of taking care of the problems that they need and the things they can't control, turning them over to God. Turning them over to the one who can actually do something about it. Throughout our Bible classes the past few weeks, we've been talking in the book of James, and the whole theme of the book of James was remember the source. Remember the source of all good things. Remember the source of deliverance. Remember the source of salvation. Have Him as your primary goal. Have Him as the one you can turn your cares and your worries over to. I can sit up in this pulpit right now and I can tell everything that worries me, everything that is anxiety-ridden in my life, and there's not a thing that anyone can do about it but me. I can list all of those things. No one can fix the problems. But if I'm over here worrying about the state of the world if I'm over here worrying about the state of the church in every other part of the country, if I'm over here worried about everything but what's in front of me and what I actually have control over, what value is it? What value does it have? Instead, I should say, the things that are in front of me, the things I can deal with, I'm going to take care of the congregation that I'm worshiping with. That's going to be my focus. The other churches, they can take care of themselves. And if there's something I can do to help, I'm willing to. I'm happy to. But I focus on not giving a home to worry. We talked about on several occasions the value of prayer and how powerful it really is. And one of the statements we've used repeatedly with this is if you pray for rain, bring an umbrella. If I pray to the Lord, turning over those things to Him, that's not for me to be concerned with anymore. The same is true when we talk about forgiveness. When we ask for forgiveness from God, we trust He is going to forgive those sins. We don't sit there and dwell on the guilt. We don't sit there and allow that to be part of our lives. That will bring us down. That will hinder us. Reality is, we know that we've turned it over to God. He has forgiven me, so I move on. So I move on. We don't give this home to worry. Literally, this word careful in the, uh, new, or the King James Version carries the idea of to care for, to be anxious, to have anxiety, to be concerned. Stress is re- are responsible for so many problems in our world, in ourselves, in others. It causes so many difficulties and so many problems. And we are not to be caught up in the world. We talked about that this very morning. We're not to be entangled by the things of this world. We're to focus on the things that I can do. Now, some might say, well, you just don't know what it's like for X. Maybe I'm talking about, you don't know what it's like because I'm having to deal with building a house and all the stress that's involved with that. Anyone who's ever been involved with that or have family who's done that or knows friends who have done that, that's a stressful situation. But if I'm so stressed about how this house is going to turn out, that I don't actually call the contractor, (laughs) that I don't actually take care of the guy who's supposed to do my flooring, that I don't call the plumber, I don't call the electrician. What was the result of all that stress? What was the benefit of worrying about all that? Instead, I should say, this has to be taken care of, and I'm going to trust the people who have the ability to make the changes to do the job. I don't call a plumber and then sit there over his shoulder watching everything that he does to make sure he does it right? If that was the case, if I knew how to fix it, why did I call the plumber? (laughs) If I knew how it was supposed to properly be done, why would I call him? Friends, why do we call God when we think we're supposed to fix everything? That we're supposed to do everything. We turn it over to the one who can actually do something about it. Now, if it's me, if it's something I need to do, I take care of it. I can make some changes in my life, but I can't snap my fingers and fix the state of the world, so why worry about it? Does my job change no matter what happens in the world? No. If America went totalitarian tonight and Christianity was banned, has my job changed? Has Christianity changed at all? No. It hasn't changed. It may be more difficult, but it doesn't change. We focus on what God has done and what God has asked us to do. So we don't make a home for worry. That is the exact opposite of joy. The exact opposite. Imagine if Paul's entire life from the time he became a Christian on was purely focused on just everything he had done wrong. Everything he had ever struggled with. Imagine if Paul was just constantly stressed about what the next trip was going to be. How much less he would have done for the kingdom. How much less he would have done for the cause of Christ. Instead, his focus was, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He didn't allow himself to be controlled by his feelings. To be controlled by the things that were not his to fix. So the first thing we have to do is to not give place to worry, not give place to anxiousness, not allow it to be a permanent home, not allow that to be our identity. But the second thing that Paul describes in verses 8 and 9, he says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue... And if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. These things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. He said the second thing we're supposed to do is keep proper things in mind. I'm sure many of us have heard the statement, evil in, evil out. If we spend all of our time surrounded by evil things of the world, why do we think we're going to do good with it? Why do I think I'm above even God himself to do good with evil things? As Christians, we keep our minds focused on the things that are right, the things that are pure, the things that are lovely. Now, does that mean that I need to be like an ostrich, stick my head in the sand and never worry about anything else that happens? I never focus on anything else. I never acknowledge there's problems in the world. I say everything is hunky-dory and I'm like the guy from the Lego movie singing everything is awesome. No. That's not me. That's not what I do. But I keep proper things in mind. I keep the proper focus. If this is the last thing that we do, the last thing that we focus on is God's Word, there's a problem. There's a problem. I need to be focused on God's Word. I need to be focused on the things that He has shown before us. Because if I allow the world to dictate my thought process, I will act and think like the world. But if I keep God as my focus, if I stay the course with Him, then the world is not going to have place. First Corinthians 15, 33, evil communications corrupt good morals. Who do I spend my time thinking about? What do I spend my time thinking about? What do I meditate on day and night? The stock market? Do I meditate on politics? Or do I meditate on the Word of God in reference to those things? In the old law, God told the children of Israel that they were to teach their children. And one of the ways he described them was as you walk in the way. Friends, the thing that we think about in the most random moments is the thing that's most important to us. I'm sure many of us have come across a person who you could sit and talk for hours about random subjects. Maybe you've seen the person who you can talk about history for random hours of the night. Or the person who can talk to you about football and he knows all the statistics, he knows the players, he knows every single role. Is that bad? No. But can you also sit and talk about the Bible? Can you also sit down and talk about the Word of God? Or is it whenever it comes to that point there's an awkward silence? What is our primary focus? If it's the things of the world, naturally, those things are going to fade away. Your favorite football team is probably going to lose. The stock market might crash. The guy you wanted to be elected probably won't be. There's disappointments, there's struggles in the world, and the things we put our faith in are what can determine either our peace or our stress. If I put my faith in God, the God who doesn't change, the God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, am I going to be worried about him changing? James chapter 1 tells us that he is a God who doesn't change. 117, it comes down from the Father of lights in whom is no variables, variableness, neither shadow of turning. He doesn't even give the impression he might change. That consistency, that strength, that position I'm holding to him And if I put the good things in front of my life, if I focus on the Word of God, if I focus on encouraging that good behavior, encouraging a study of God's Word, learning more about Him, keeping the proper things in mind, I have less time to worry about the things that aren't. I have less time to worry about the affairs of the world and the negatives. There was a preacher on one occasion... Who was talking about the fact that everyone has their own solutions for the state of the world, for the state of the church? Everyone knows what needs to be done to fix it. He said, and then the moment you ask them to actually do something about it, that's not my job. He said, if it isn't your job to fix it, it ain't your job to think about it. That seems harsh. That seems difficult to do because naturally we're going to have opinions on things. We're going to think about things. But what I spend my time focusing on is going to determine how I think. And what does Paul say here? He says, these things which you have learned, the things that we've been teaching you, the things we've been trying to show you, he says, these things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me. Notice he said that, saw in me. He said, you saw how I lived in these things. If these things are what you focus on, the God of peace will be with you. The very God who can bring peace into this world. Think about what happens without God. Just think about that for a moment. Some people have described the idea of hell and say that God is not loving if hell exists or the the rejection of God, that's something that can't be happening because if he's a loving God, he's going to accept everybody, right? The reality is what he has created, heaven, is the absolute consistent relationship with him for all eternity, never separated. Hell is the opposite. It's the other side is everything that God has given, every blessing He has given, removed. Think about how hell is described. Darkness, God is light. Pain, God is a comforter. Suffering, God gives peace. See how they're separated? How they're the exact opposite of one another? Friends, when we think about the things that are godly and focus on Him... What time do we have to worry? What time do we have to be constantly stressed about the things of this world? It can seem like a difficult thing. It can seem like an impossible task sometimes. But the reality is, our focus determines so much. There was a study that was done several years ago regarding those who have terminal diseases. And we have a few nurses in here, and I think they can probably attest to this too, that the attitude matters drastically. The attitude of the patient matters drastically. If I just give up, if I have no desire to go on, I'm not going to heal as properly. But if I have the attitude I'm focusing on just one more day, I keep going one more day, that matters. Friends, if we think the church is defeated, we'll act like it. If we think the church is defeated in the United States of America in 2023, we will not bring it back. Our attitude matters. Someone was mentioning it earlier today, and it really is an exciting thought. This is our last day in this building. Our last Sunday, excuse me. Last Sunday in this building. We have a new building, a new opportunity. A new place to work with. What is our attitude going to be once we get there? Is it going to be excitement? Let's get to work. I have no doubt it will be. I have no doubt we'll be excited. But what will our attitude be in a year? Two years? Three years? Will it be the same as the first day? I hope so. but we are the ones that determine that. And it determines what our focus is. When we were in South Arkansas, we had a a group that was going out and door knocking and going door to door trying to get attention from people. And one of the guys that went with us, he was excited about going out. And as we were going door to door, we just kept getting rejected. And that gets a little tiresome. (laughs) After a while you get tired of hearing no, you get tired of hearing the polite, well maybe. You get tired of it after a while. And I I guess it showed on my face at the time. I guess it showed a little bit. This guy came up behind me and said, just one more door. Just one more door. That person wanted to talk. That person wanted to listen. And if all my focus was was on everyone that had rejected me up to that point, probably would have quit that day. Would have said, okay, we'll come back to this some other day. I tell that story not as just a simple preacher anecdote. (laughs) But to show that attitude matters. What we choose to focus on, the thing that is our goal, that changes everything. That changes everything. So we have to keep the proper thoughts in mind. We have to keep the things that are godly, the things that are righteous, the things that are pure. Those things are our focus. Not how wicked the world is. Not how little people want to hear the gospel. But I keep in mind there's someone out here who wants to listen. There's someone out here who wants to become a member of the Lord's church. My job is to find him. My job is to find him. But this isn't the only thing that Paul said. Let's look a little bit farther down. Verses 10 through 13. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me this is probably one of the hardest ones in America. (laughs) Because we have the attitude of, I want it faster and better now. Don't believe me? How much has the fast food chains begun to decline in the quality of their food? It just goes down. There was a guy who I was driving with one day and he says, man things are getting so fast I'm expecting at some point they're gonna have t-shirt cannons shooting them out of the drive-thru window (laughs) Christians are to be content people now that doesn't mean we should take the less on everything it's not wrong to want to do more or to want to be better but do I have the mentality I need more and better I need it faster There was a preacher on one occasion discussing how there are so many people who say, if I just had a little more money, I would give more. If I just had a little more time, I would give more. This preacher sat across from a man who said that very statement and said, no, you wouldn't. He said, well, how can you say that? Of course I would. He said, the problem is not your lack or your abundance. He said, the problem is your motivation. He said, if you're going to say right now that if I just had a little more time, I would give more to the church. If I just had a little more money, I would give more to the church. He said, you would give the exact same percentage just with more money. You would give the exact same percentage just more time. It would seem like you're doing more and you're more active, but he said, the reality is it's not changed. Think about the widow with the two mites. When she gave, what did Jesus say about her? She gave all that she had. He said she gave out of her lack. She gave out of her impoverished state. Her percentage, if it were given to a rich man, would have been insane. Would have been drastically different. But she understood what the important situation was. She understood what the goal was. And it wasn't just to give, to make sure everything's comfortable, it was to go in 100%. It was to be fully committed. Throughout our culture, we've seen many Christians who want to give 3% of their being to the church. That's an exaggeration slightly, but it's for sake of point. They want to give little just to say they're working with them. It's as if the, or it's similar to the child who's working on a group project and he writes one word on the paper and says, Hey, that was a group project. We really nailed it, guys. And then the person who actually put the work in says, Really? Really? For some, that's all they can give. The one word, the one penny, that's all they can do. But what's the heart behind it? What's the state that that person is in? Paul says, I know how to, be a, how to abound and how to suffer need. I know how to be hungry and to be full. He said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Are we content? Do we say that no matter what happens, I'm going to be okay? No matter what the state of the world is, I'm going to be committed? There's a very fine line between contentment and endurance. A very fine line. They're almost the same thing. The idea is this my goal doesn't change, what I am looking for doesn't change. If I'm hungry, I'm following after the Lord. If I'm full, I'm following after the Lord. If I have an abundance of wealth, I'm following after the Lord. If I'm impoverished on the side of the highway, I'm still following after the Lord. Whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I had a friend of mine who was a missionary, and he was talking about how it continues to blow his mind every time he goes overseas. He says, I will go to a country that is the backside of nowhere. And those people are ten times happier than the richest people I see in America. And he said, it just sounds so contrary to what we've been told, what we've been taught, how we think. He said, but they have what matters. They have the things that are important. They're not worried about the state of the world. They say, I have my community to work with. They're not worried about every new doctrine that comes about from other people and constantly being stressed about, okay, what if that comes here? What do I have to do next? They're focused on what does the Bible say? They're focused on being the church. Christians are an example, showing the world what it means to follow after Christ. Now, here's the real question. We've been talking about how to live a joyful life. Does that mean we'll always be happy? No. No, it won't. It won't always be happy. We talked about this morning that this is a difficult life to live. So how can I be joyful but not always happy? Paul described it. Paul dealt with it. Whatsoever state we're in, we're content. We're content. I have what I need. What do I have to worry about? All of my needs are met. That's how we can live a fulfilling life. A life where we're not constantly brought down by the things of this world. You see, the people who are in the world who don't follow after Christ, they have no buffer. They have no protection from all the troubles of this world. They have to try to make it up as they go along. But Paul says, if you focus on these things, if you live this faithful life, the God of peace will be with you. The things that you need will be provided. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious about what's going to happen tomorrow. Because tomorrow is just another day. It's just another day. How can I live a joyful life? How can I be a joyful person? First of all, not giving a home to worry. Not making that a place where it can permanently hold up. Second, I keep the proper things in mind. I keep a proper focus. And third, I learn to be content. I learned to be content and happy with the things that I have. Not constantly looking for the next best thing. And if we do these things, the God of peace will be with us. Maybe this evening, this sermon hasn't really described you. Maybe you've never even named the name of Christ, and this has been a problem. Maybe you have lived a life that's full of this anxiousness, this worry, and you just wonder, how can I just be happy? How can I have this peace, this joy? He's made the path available for all who are willing to do it. All who are willing to become a part of the Lord's kingdom. must hear the word, Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And upon hearing that word, we see what it says and we believe it to be true. John 8, 24, I said, therefore, unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. And based upon that belief, that understanding, that saying, yes, this is the truth. We're willing to repent. To say, this is how I thought before, but after what I've read, but after what I understand, I know this isn't true. And I choose to follow a different path. According to Acts 17, 30, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And based upon that changed mind, that change, that decision that's been made, I'm going to follow after the Lord. I'm willing to confess that He is exactly who He said He was. I'm willing to confess that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I'm going to live like it. According to Romans 10, 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And based upon that confession, that decision that I'm going to follow after God, and I'm publicly going to admit it, I can be baptized into Christ. Bearing that old man of sin, raised to walk in newness of life. 1 Peter 3, 21. The like figure, whereinto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. And I can be free of all of those things. I can be free of the things that cause me worry, that cause me stress, because I know who's in charge. And I know the decision that I've made. But maybe you did all those things. Maybe you are a member of the Lord's Church this evening, but maybe... You forgot who the source was. Maybe you forgot what it meant to be a joyful Christian, a true joyful Christian. He makes the path available for you as well. He doesn't want those who are His servants to be living a life full of this worry and lacking of joy. 1 John 1 verse 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's easy to sit through sermon after sermon and hear invitation after invitation. But these invitations are not here just to be the closing part of a sermon. Let's grab our songbooks as we prepare to stand and sing. This is a moment for self-reflection. For looking at ourselves and saying, okay, do I need to make a change? Do I know for certain when I walk out these doors tonight, when I pillow my head at home, that I'm right with the Lord? And if there is something wrong, I can change it tonight. This is a plea. This is an opportunity from the Lord himself. The time we have right now, we won't ever get back. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. If you have any need this evening, anything that is holding you back, come now as together we stand and as we sing.